Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Turning Point Podcast. Today's episode is a little bit different. I am speaking with an entrepreneur, but it's going to be a technology-based episode. My guest today is Patrick McClory. Patrick has built and driven value into existing companies from AWS, Professional Services, to DualSpark, where he was the co-founder. He's helped hundreds of companies grow and mature in the cloud. He's driven strategic product development for organizations, and he's leveraging his automation, high-scale, and outcomes-oriented approach to drive change in the business intelligence space. Patrick covers that you can apply to your own business regardless of the industry. This episode is brought to you by Skillshare. Skillshare is a platform where you can learn anything from design, photography, cooking, anything that you're looking for, you will find a course with a professional or someone who has experience in that area that can help you get to where you want to be. If you go to turningpointpodcast.com, you get two premium months free to take any course that you like. So without further ado, Mm, I don't really see myself as someone that would say further ado. Anyways, so without further ado, enjoy the show. Patrick, thank you so much for being part of the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Hey, glad to be here. So I like to start off learning about people's journeys. And with you in particular, I want to learn how you ended up working in technology and then going into entrepreneurship. And I know a lot of it goes hand in hand. Like I, I work in tech. That's, that's my day mm-hmm. job. Um, but I want to hear your story, not to talk yeah. about myself, but you know, your story in technology. <laughs> I've got a, I've got a weird story. So I started writing software when I was 14. Uh, my first computer was like one of those beige IBM PS2 286s with oh, wow. a 20 megabyte hard drive. And I remember like the only thing I remember about that thing was the uh, sales guy told us that we would never ever fill the hard drive. It was impossible. You'd never, you could type all day and you would never fill this 20 megabyte hard drive. And I look at like my phone, I'm like, really? <laughs> um, you were so wrong started, on that one. Oh, way wrong. So I started playing around with that early on, uh, you know, went through, you know, the prototypical old school GeoCities, you know, public sites, websites, played around in that and ended up starting to, um, you know, sort of fi- found, so- found side jobs, found uh, kind of fun things to do with it, made some money and uh, went to college, decided I was going to, you know, try to be a doctor. That was not the right move for me. Um, oh, I did the yeah. same thing. Interesting. <laughs> not to be so, a doctor, to be a vet, but yeah. <laughs> well, for me, it was, uh, you know, chemistry was great. Math was awesome. I love physics. And then biology it was just the brick wall. Um, and, and it was all the, the, the memorization. And my, my thought all the time, you know, going through that was, I could just look this up. Like that, that's what the internet's for. I could just go look. I don't need to know that. I just need to know where to go find it. So I needless to say, biology, you know, killed my, my medical dream. Uh, so I ended up with a, oddly enough, a degree in psychology and through my junior and senior years, I was working for uh, a group in the town I went to school in, uh, called, uh, uh, the Genesis Foundation, and they were a, a little startup incubator group, and it was these three three partners, and um, a guy by the name of Kelly Schwedlin was one of the you know guys there, and he really kind of took me under his wing and uh, gave me a job, which was cool because you know in college you know a job doing something that isn't on campus and is you know better paying honestly it was a cool thing, so I worked basically full time junior and senior year uh, in this you know tech and company kind of startup incubator, and. You know, I, I was sort of shown the ropes from left to right, everything from, you know, being introduced to some of, you know, both my favorite and least favorite business books to, um, you know, really kind of getting the, not just the the mantra, but seeing the whole life cycle in kind of one, you know, place from start to finish of some of these companies. It was it was amazing to see them grow and, and come to, to close and, uh, or, or be sold or, you know, or what have you. And I looked at the the technology skills that I had. And I looked at you know, that, that interest and kind of the insight that was pouring into me. And I went, oh, I could do that. Um, I had to come back to it, but you know, I kind of took that forward, did a whole lot of tech consulting, uh, you know, executive and kind of strategic as well as, you know, in that cloud space, I was sort of early on in the, the cloud phase of consulting, built an organization in that world uh, after having worked for Amazon. And um, it's sort of the, the kind of the, the last sort of, note at the bottom of the, am I going to be serious about this uh, question? Yeah. You know, that was the, it's time to take this serious moment because, you know, I, I, I've seen it through now once and um, 
saying that I caught the bug isn't really the right term. It it's it sort of downplays it, but it I, I got to see how awesome it is to be able to to take something that you can't see to to yeah. turn it into something and then really drive value out of it. And all the better that I love working in tech. I love I love like this software thing is a hobby to me at the end of the day. It's awesome that people pay me for it, but I do it anyway. Um, to be able to take that and, and really do cool things with it is is a it's a great gift. It's a cool thing to be able to do. And I enjoy helping other people and, you know, kind of working through that with, uh, you know, our partners, with our, our friends and with our, our employees. That's awesome. So um, you went, you were in the incubator just learning because usually incubators for some people that might not know, maybe of the startup space, you have a business idea. You go there to kind of build upon that idea and actually come up with kind of a startup business, but you so came worked, in there with no idea. I worked for the incubator. Okay. You, oh, you worked for the incubator. Yeah, so I got to see them bring you. different companies. And I, I worked with one of the companies. That's even better. Uh, in particular. Oh yeah. I got to see all of it, right. As, you know, both sides of the, uh, the process. Um, but you know, I, I got to, you know, be in the, the early discussions of like, we've got an idea, what can we do? Everything from financial services organizations. There was a um, there was a band who wanted to run their their setup more like a business and kind of use technology. And this was in like 2003, 2004, before social media marketing yep. really became a huge thing. So like they were looking at that early on and they they came to, you know, the guy's name is Kelly Schwartland again. He, Kelly, you know, really took him under his wing and uh, played that out at a business level with them. And I got to see that, you know, you know, other organizations in, in multiple spaces, mostly tech focused, but um it was cool to, to be able to have multiple stories. And that's really why I've, I, I don't know, I've made a lot out of the consulting career that I've had is that, you know, a lot of people work for one company or, or five companies for, you know, a long period of time. I've seen hundreds of organizations and I've been able to see all those problems and kind of take a step back and go, well, if you guys would just connect those two dots, like that's an interesting product idea. And, you know, it's, you know, kind of the shark tank game, like, well, can yep. I pitch it this way? Can I pitch, <laughs> like what, what combination of things would work well here? And, um, you know, to be able to level up and start building product is is awesome around that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, and I love that. So I, I worked in a tech company in San Francisco um, that was basically taking entrepreneur competitions. So anything from mm-hmm. like the Cefio Intel, which is like a Latin America entrepreneurship uh, competition mm-hmm. or Startup Chile and basically bring those entrepreneurs onto the uh, the States to provide an incubator and some sort of help and funding and whatnot. So I, it's, it's exciting. It's like, it's not kind of Groundhog's Day when you have a job and you know that you're coming in and you're going to do the same thing. Maybe this meeting is going to be different from tomorrow, from yesterday's meeting, but it was interesting because you get to see them come just broke, just with a dream and broke mm-hmm. and, and leave <laughs> with more of a business idea and some funding. So for me, that was amazing. Yeah. I don't know. I think, you know, I think two things in there, right? The, um, you know, the idea of seeing people come in with these great ideas and, and leaving equipped, um, I think money's a great part of it. And certainly money is what makes the world go around and there's plenty of need for it. But the more valuable part of that, and, and some of it is just little things, it's it's the insight, it's the perspective, it's, it's helping people, you know, k- take this great idea that they're so laser focused on and open up that perspective to say, well, you aren't just solving this one problem, you're actually solving these other five. Yep. You, you actually have this awesome thing in front of you. What, what, but if you just focus in on that one part, like, yeah, you got to get a, a, an MVP out a minimal viable product. You've got to get something to market that makes money that you can, you can build on, but don't close the door to those other four or five, 10 ideas that we can come up with in a, in a one hour meeting. Like let's, let's expand that horizon and let's equip you with some, you know, perspective from other people. And I guess that's the polite way of, uh, you know, saying, let's, let's give you all of the bad stories, all the failures that we've had, you know, that you've had, you know, let's teach you, teach you about our failure so that you don't make the same mistakes. Um, and whether that's, you know, conversation, there's tons of great books out there that, that go through that pattern. Um, you know, that it's a, it's a really cool place to be. Um, you know, I've certainly mentored a number of organizations or, or individuals. And I think that's probably one of the most rewarding parts of, of what I do is being able to, you know, work with others and say, well, that's not really my space. That's not really what I do, but sure. I'll sit down. Let's talk about, you know, that restaurant you want to build. Let's talk about that, you know, that manufacturing organization that your heart's set on and let's just talk business and let's see where that goes. And let's see if there's a possibility that you could inject some technology, make your life easier or make it better. Or let me just dream with you and see what, like it's infectious just being around that. Uh, To be able to, 
to be a part of that dreaming phase is, is a lot of fun for me. Yeah, I loved it too. This is one of those ones that I, I, you know, one of those things that I struggled with early on is that, that like, am I still going to go to the nine to five, right? Man, I don't know that I could go back anymore. Um, I, I mean, I, I certainly would if I had to, but um, I, I think there's a lot of value in those, in those, you know, sort of nine to five daily grind jobs that people don't take advantage of. I think it's easy to fall into the, the role in the, the, the box and the position. And, you know, if you take it with a, a real kind of sense of, of uh, you know, sort of curiosity and really drive through that, your quarterly, quarterly or yearly goals, you know, are, are great on paper, but how do you, how do you take value out of that for yourself? How do you grow? And it's, uh, you know, really easy to let someone else pay for you to grow. Uh, if you'll take advantage of it. And I, yeah. I think that that's one of those opportunities that if, um, you know, if there's one thing that I would say is there's plenty of, of awesome opportunity out there. And I, I think to take advantage of that is is really what drives me. Like I love to grow. I love new things. I love learning new things and lear- learning how to apply them. And if someone else were to pay for that for me, cool, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Um, I know you mentioned that I you don't know if you would go back to a nine to five. Um, what does your day look like now? Right. Cause we, we all have a routine, but you don't have to report to anyone. Basically you just work for yourself. What does your day look like? If, if we would go to like a rundown on, on what, what that is. What does my day look like? Um, it could be all over the place. I get it. Entrepreneurship. It's a little bit like that, but no, I, I try to build some structure. It gets a little crazy if you don't, um, build some structure and kind of keep yourself accountable. Um, I kind of, you know, on any given day, let's, let's average it all out. Right. There's, there's usually about three big chunks of work with uh, a couple of things thrown in there. So I usually start my day by checking my calendar, looking at what's going on. Like, like this morning, I had to screw this meeting up and, uh, you know, push this up an hour. So uh, I'll do kind of a, a day in review, week in review just to check, you know, where, where am I at? What, what's going on uh, today in the next few days? What do I have to plan for in my head and get myself ready for, um, you know, quick, you know, sanity check of that, go through email uh, very quickly, um, really just looking for what are the top two or three things that I really need to pay attention to first thing in the morning. Um, you know, from there, you know, usually I spend three to four hours uh, with various clients kind of working through problems with them at a sort of high level, uh, you know, or even kind of hands-on tactically. I'm one of those, uh, again, one of those software people who even as a as an entrepreneur, as a as a as an executive, I feel very strongly that I've got to stay connected to the technology. So even yeah. if I'm not writing all of the code base, even if I'm not responsible for you know even an entire you know chunk of work, if I can't walk the walk at some level, I I, I feel like I I'm not as comfortable you know talking at a you know at an executive level about how we can drive businesses and organizations to, to greater value with those, those tools. So uh, I like to, to tinker. I know that my engineers sometimes don't appreciate that, um, but we get along just fine. Uh, Leave comments in the code. <laughs> you don't go that far. I don't go that far. Um, I try to keep it productive. I don't try to, to snipe at people on that. Um, but, you know, I, it, there, a lot of those turn into, you know, we'll call them more architectural, more kind of pattern and, and outcomes focused conversations as well with, with the team, just, you know, trying to build in how do we make this more durable, more, more um, elastic? How do we make it more scalable for the, you know, the tool set that we're after? And um, how do we do that with what we have in our hands? And what's the, what's the business decision on, on the give and take of the enormous effort to go one direction, even though it would be perfect versus the, uh, you know, sort of current here and now pragmatic approach. Uh, you know, those are, those are cool conversations to be part of too, to, to be able to have a, a whole context discussion with engineers. Um, you know, and then you know, the afternoon, call it split between biz dev and sort of just getting through correspondence and validating that I'm kind of on top of everything. There's lots of, uh, you know, call it administrative uh, nonsense at times when it, when it comes to running an organization. So uh, health insurance, accounting, you know, things that nobody really wants, frankly, nobody wants to deal with. Um, we all want, we, we all want it to be there. Um, yep. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, stuff that you got to keep an eye on. And we've done a lot to automate or, or improve our, our setting or our standing there, or improve our setup. Uh, 
but it's still a little bit of a, an overhead to make sure that we've got all our T's crossed and all our I's dotted uh, on a daily and weekly basis. And usually it's, you know, one perspective or one, one part of the organizational week. I kind of try to take a day for, you know, checking accounting, make sure we've got all our HR stuff in place, a little bit of marketing, some sales, uh, sort of more strategic work, at least uh, one day a week, if not two. And that's usually the end of my day. Somewhere in there, I try to take the dog for a walk, but that's. Yeah, I was going to say Steve. lunch. Yeah, <laughs> lunch, lunch. Walking the um, walking the happens. dog. <laughs> it happens when it's uh, uh, when time kind of permits. Uh, I don't know that I've got as strong a schedule on that as um, I think some people enjoy. I don't. It doesn't really bother me. It's sort of when I can grab something. It's yep. uh, uh, how I usually approach lunch, but I try to find you know half hour, forty five minutes to go take the little little guy out and you know go for a walk and get get my head clear uh for the next chunk of the day yeah it happens to me as well like i forget to eat and it's like four and i'm like well it's dinner time so i'm hungry what happened yeah i get involved in something and i just go down this rabbit hole of trying to figure out whatever i'm working on and forget it i just i forget completely about lunch so but it's good to really especially working in the computer it's good to just get up and stretch and get some Mm -hmm. sunlight Especially I live in the New York, New Jersey area. So what's no, do you want to take advantage of now? Because then you won't be able to go out. So yeah, no, I'm in Southern California. So for me, it's uh, paradise nearly yeah. all the time. Jealous. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I, it, I have no defense, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm from Puerto Rico. So like I missed, I, I thought I would never miss the weather. And then I moved here. I'm like, yeah, I do miss the weather. This is horrible. So I grew up in, uh, in Pittsburgh and I remember snow. And I, I have, I have some like terrible, terrible memories of being like snowed into buildings and iced in and I don't miss it. I'm good. I'll yeah. stay here. <laughs> I, w- I loved it when I came because I was like, well, you know, I never got to see snow. I never lived through the seasons. Mm-hmm. But once you do it for like a couple of years, you're like, got it out I'm of good. my system. I'm good. <laughs> you know, get that out of your bucket list and move forward. Yeah. Um, so going back to when you were, you know, maybe out of college, when did you start to have like your first business idea? Because I know that happens a lot. And you might, might, I don't know, start building something, but then you go with something else. Like how, how did that start? I, I think that they're all, the, the dirty little secret in entrepreneurship and, and in the, especially in the tech world is that there's always this series of, you know, false starts or, you know, good ideas and then oh wait now nah, never maybe never mind let's 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 take a pause on that and certainly you know out of college one of the first things i really wanted to do was right, let's go start a consulting firm i want to go do that i want to go be the the expert and it was this uh this job i had it was the first job i had in san diego I was working for a, a company um kind of in the social media space and um one day the network went down and these guys came in. It was this group of like eight or nine guys to fix the network. And they were the, the network architects. And all I knew about them was that they were there. They were billing by the day. And it was a $400 an hour minimum for any one of them. And I was like, huh, that sounds like a great plan. <laughs> Come in and tell people it's broken leave and then not fix it, like, <laughs> like bill by the day. Um, and I looked at that and sort of, looking back, it's sort of silly, but I was like, oh, like, that's an interesting model. What could I, what does it take to get to that point? And you know, for a long time, it was all about getting experience and trying to figure out how I, I build that sort of holistic perspective to be able to, to drive that kind of value. And, you know, along came cloud and it was sort of a leveling, uh, you know, a leveling event for everyone. It's like, it's all new for everyone. So let's, let's really dig in and make that the, that the foundation of, of that expertise and it, it worked really well. Um, we've, we've done, and that's not just because I'm a, a greedy jerk and I want to make lots of money. <laughs> we've done a lot of great things for, uh, you know, a large number of organizations and it's, it's really rewarding to be able to help them move forward instead of just, you know, the stereotypical drive the bus up, drop a bunch of people off and leave kind of consulting. Um, you know, we've always been focused on helping organizations take ownership and grow which is my kind of the theme for me, but it's also, you know, for how we approach our businesses, uh, how we approach our consulting work. It's always about making you a better company and making you guys more successful, making, you know, an executive team more aware of how to better leverage technology, mm-hmm. you know, helping that CIO who's maybe abdicated his authority or is his position in the, you know, the process of, of helping to make money for the company, you know, instead of just being the, 
the guy who keeps the lights on and who keeps the network running. He really should be that strategic voice of how, how do we take technology and, and make this company a better company and to be able to, you know, coach and assist at a, a high level and then show how to do that tangibly and, and kind of side by side coach teams to achieve that vision. That's really been the, the model. And we've, again, we've had a lot of fun with it and found it to be super effective uh, for organizations who are ready to grow. And again, that cloud thing is a great catalyst. It was that moment where everyone wants to get on board with it. Nobody really knows how. And, you know, all the buzzwords aside, it's, it's not that much different than it ever was, but we sort of have changed our mindset about how to approach it. And it's more of a team sport now than it ever has been. It's more of a, uh, you know, multiple positions really working together. And that's not the direction that IT was going prior to that. It was really specialized silos as a service provider. And uh, service providers are not strategic. They take orders and they do the work. And when technology is changing so rapidly, that's just not how yep. businesses operate. So yeah. we, we got to play in that space and it was, um, it was a really cool place to be. That's awesome. What is, what does the future look like for your company? Where do you think, and I don't think I've mentioned the name of your company or a little bit of your background. I'm going to in the intro, but I know <laughs> that, that you, you were a consultant for Amazon and mm -hmm. you were the uh, CTO of DualSpark. And right now you're the founder and the current company that you're managing is Introspect Data. So, right. So that's the one that we've been talking just in case, yeah, you know, the a, listeners are like, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> hey, come, come hang out. We'll, we'll help you out. Um, no. So I think it's a fun story because at the end of it, when we built and, and sold DualSpark to a company called Datapipe, um, I got to go into this really interesting sort of internal consulting role to help this large scale managed services partner, um, you know, better leverage automation, build, you know, a deeper bench on the professional services side. But then, you know, I was able to take that perspective and, you know, with the board's help really drive out strategic product for um, the future of what that company was going toward. Uh, enterprises continue to ask for easier ways to leverage containerization and to leverage these kind of cool new technologies that are coming out at the infrastructure level. And, we said, well, cool, let's build a better way to manage things like Kubernetes holistically for our customers. We were doing some hands-on kind of really high touch, uh, very heavy handed management work around Kubernetes when it was very new. And that's, you know, for a managed services organization, that's not the model. You're not there to, to spend every day, all day um, babysitting, you know, these technologies. And we, we built some really cool, uh, both automation kind of concepts for deployment and management of these Kubernetes uh, clusters, but then you know, the entire backplane of how to how to manage that in a multi-tenant kind of big picture, many customers, many clusters, you know, globally kind of perspective. And you know, it took a little bit for us to get on the same page about where technology was going at that time. Um, but I got really a a reminder and, and a hands-on kind of approach to how do I go from nothing to product management to, you know, from nothing to, you know, the board with this product idea and then manage it from inception to deployment. And we were so close. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we had, we'd gotten about 85, 90% of the way to um, our, our drop dead date and uh, Rackspace acquired us. So things were uh, All right. nice. It, it was a cool, um, it was a cool experience going through that as well. But, um, you know, that technology got poured into Rackspace's um, tools. And, you know, I, don't, I honestly don't quite know where, where that is anymore today. But um, I know that they're continuing to manage Kubernetes and they're improving that on their side. And it's cool to see not just the teams we built, but the technologies we were able to put together and see that grow from, you know, organizations who were traditionally focused to now being really aware of how it's, uh, you know, what organizations in the market are asking for and how they need to be prepared to serve that. And that product management product, you know, you know, pitch to delivery approach is really something that informs how I look at building product today. So at introspect data, we're really kind of looking at all of these AI and ML tools that are out there. And I just as a, you know, curious 
weirdo look at it and go, well, how much of that's actually useful? How much of those tools are, are things to play with? And don't get me wrong, Deep Racer is cool. AWS has got some cool stuff, but <laughs> um, you know, we've got this weird position where companies have been storing more and more data than ever before. I would argue that big data, you know, the, the big data quote unquote concept was by and large a failure. Um, one of the numbers I, I continually come back to is that um, you know, whether you call it 40 or 50 or $60 billion a year spent in, in big data as a category, you know, 85% of it um, is failed projects. So if we're just, if we're just dumping that much money, um, it was like a buzzword for a while. I feel yeah. like big data. It's like everyone's like, "Well, big data." I'm like, "Do you even know what you're saying?" What does like, that really mean? What like, is Inigo Montoyo is that, <laughs> that really mean what you think it means? Um, but you know, I think we got to go back and understand why that happened. Right? Is it's that the cost of storage hit the floor, and um, I think it's Backblaze. They're a like a backup and kind of storage company. They they'll host object storage for you. Um, they did this article a while back that categorized, kind of cataloged the, the cost of storage per gigabyte since the 80s. And like it went from thousands of dollars to like two cents. And it's dirt yeah. cheap for companies to store everything they have. So yeah. now we've got this, this glut of data and big data comes along and promises that there's, there's gold in them, Thar Hills. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> but there wasn't. And, I, and I'm... I'm both intrigued and worried that that sentiment's still out there as it relates to AI and ML, because I don't think that machine learning or artificial intelligence are going to, you know, be the alchemy that turns all that data into gold, but certainly there's value in there. Um, I guess I'm, I'm a little more measured than, than some, but I think that the real problem is connecting these cool capabilities with actual business cases, making yep. it not just easy to connect the tools, but connecting the the mindset connecting the the outcome perspective um i can do a lot of things but if it doesn't drive a decision then why do i need a prettier picture what i need is action and i think in technology it's easy for us to spin on this you know kind of cool new things and we could sit and talk shop all day like we could sit here and <laughs> you know talk about you know the latest news and x y or z but like, at the end of the day if, if we can't make it useful if it doesn't drive something you know, tangible, then what is it? Like no. right now, you know, AI and ML are the big, you know, hundred point starburst that people are putting on their boxes of software still. The look now with artificial intelligence. Well, okay, cool. But is it any better than it was? And yeah, not usually. Do you find yourself when you're working with customers um, that at times you might be working with someone who's, I don't know, upper management and they don't quite understand, I guess, I don't, know, I don't want to call it technical <laughs> lingo, but I, I have to. So you end up being a consultant, but at the same time kind of educating them on their own systems? There's a lot of that. Um, I had a client recently who, um, you know, HR transitions and people leaving and, you know, yep. things that just happen normally. Right. And the, you know, the person who knew uh, how their website worked had left and it was in, uh, it was in an interesting place. Um, old version of red hat, lots of security flaws and, uh, you know, getting over the first hurdle of explaining what a, what a CVE is, you know, what, what, what a critical, you know, vulnerability is and then what the impact is to them and how that might impact their business. I had to learn their business yeah. before I could really articulate it. And I, and I find that a lot of organizations, um, you know, oddly enough, yeah, I mean, pretty much all of them, everyone's got their own lingo, but there's also a lot of perspective that is implicit or is implied in how organizations manage themselves and i find that until i can really make sense of you know how and how someone in an organization thinks about that company i'm always trying my hardest to to give them the right message but i'm i'm usually not quite clicking until i get that last piece and yep. you know some of it's about understanding kind of what drives the mission some of it is the you know the marketing lingo and language that they use some of it is just understanding kind of what they're driven by and what the, what the, you know, for lack of better terms, what the carrot and stick are, you know, how, how do they, how do they 
um, motivate? How do they, how do they sort of bring themselves back and hold themselves accountable? Um, but that stuff is, is really usually the key for me to, to explaining the big complicated things because in, until I can plug why you need uh, Kubernetes as a scheduler on top of Docker into, you know, use a company and what that really does to you and benefit, I, I got to understand you before I can connect that dot for you. Makes a lot of sense. I, I work and I'll probably tell you the name because I don't like to mix up the podcast with my kind of day job. Um, hmm. I work for a CDN and okay. um, I focus a lot on TLS. Mostly that's my, yep. my job. And like you, I find myself, people come and they're like, well, I want TLS. And I'm like, well, we have different products. And <laughs> what do you want? Like, do you even know what it is? Because a lot of people don't understand what TLS is. Mm-hmm. And I have to explain to them like, oh, well, this is port 80, this is port 403, and this is secure. And like, and you have, I probably spend a good chunk of the beginning just understanding what they want, what their systems are, to then tell them this is probably the best option for you. And this is how we can implement it for you. So I can definitely understand where you're coming from on that regard. So I think it's, it's hard because technology moves so quickly, right? That these companies they get an idea of what they want and maybe even they're, they're kind of going in the right direction. Right. But they don't, they don't understand, you know, kind of two really important things. One, is this actually what's going to solve my problem? And lots of companies when they go to vendors and like, even when they come to me, they, they come with a problem and they tell me it hurts, but they, and they, they've got this preconceived notion of what will fix it but they don't know anything about that. So they yeah. don't really know if that, that follows through. And, and on the other hand, I think, again, things move so quickly. What was the right answer yesterday? May not be the right answer today. Um, and certainly it's not quite that pronounced all the time, but there are times when you look at it and you go, you know what, there's this one problem with, um, I don't say, um, sorry, uh, MySQL is a great example. For a while, they, they didn't have JSON support in it, and and there were a lot of organizations, a lot of a lot of friends, even uh, you know, kind of open source developers who uh, were like, you know, if only MySQL had JSON support, I would use it, and like that, it was you know there was a release on a day, and it changed, and it became a massive sort of rebalancing effort in the heuristic of how I recommend or how you know what are the the questions I ask, how do I, you know, what are the rules of thumb that that really drive me towards recommending something, you know, anything for a customer. And it, you know, it's keeping on top of that stuff that is just difficult. It's brutal to kind of keep, you know, an eye on the fire hose as it continues to come through and doing it for one product is terrible. Doing it for, you know, uh, you know, a suite of them is, is difficult. It's just, you know, you've got customers who come at you left and right with random stuff. It's all the more fun. (laughs) I agree. Um, I was going to say, I love, I love this conversation because usually I talk to entrepreneurs and we focus a lot on the entrepreneurship of things and not necessarily on what their business is. And like, I have a lot of people that are like influencers, creatives and entrepreneurs, but a lot of them are very, are a lot of people that are looking to, into technology. And I haven't had an episode, I guess this that covered so much. So I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that, that we did this and we covered a lot of technology and, and especially consulting. Cause I think a lot of people want to go into consulting. They don't even know where to start or what industry to do. And I think technology is a really good way to start um, because a lot of people build their businesses. And I'm like, what tools do you use to start off? Like yeah. MailChimp is free. Do you want to use that versus ConvertKit? What tools do you use for HR? What tools, everything that you need to build. You want to save, at least from my perspective, you want to save money on that so that you can build a business and then maybe invest on those later on. I do you, do you agree with you? I have to. Why? Like, How so? So um, it is very easy. Uh, I'm going to back up. So there's two positions that you're in. One is flat broke. Got it. I, but yeah. I want to do something. And then there's, I got, I got, a, I got a little bit of money. And I'm ready to incubate this thing. I want to, yep. I'm going to go get some seed funding. I'm going to go get an angel investor. Like I'm going to start with a little bit. Um, honestly, when it comes to like the suite of tools, like I have the, this wonderfully terrible drawing that we did, you know, early on. And it was, what's the bare minimum I need to make this work? What is, what is the bare minimum number of components, not by tool, but by, by type? I need an HRIS system. I need an applicant tracking system. 
because I don't want to pay 30% for a recruiter and I don't want to hire uh, an internal recruiter yet. So yeah. what's the best tool out there that I can do that with? And how do I get as much of that in one place as possible? Um, I'm going to use Google apps because I'm both lazy and I like it. Um, I'm, you know, it works, it's email, it's docs. And, and frankly that, you know, once you, once you get people over the hump of collaborative doc editing, it is so powerful to be able to it work is. on that kind of stuff in one place. Um, you know, I've, you know, built documents, tools, built, you know, spreadsheets and business plans in hours that would have taken weeks before with the, let me email you that doc and spreadsheet. And, you know, it's, it's a force multiplier that you can't ignore. Um, like, like we've already said, I'm in, I'm in the, the tech space, you know, I'm a software engineer. So at the end of the day, I need a decent, you know, code repository and an issue tracker, but I don't really care about, you know, the best issue tracker and six levels of hierarchical reporting. I care about, do I have code? Can it build? Can I keep it to do list? Like keep it simple. And if you drive it that way, you actually don't end up with the cheapest tools. You end up with some mid range to more expensive tools, but in aggregate, it saves you a whole lot more time than, you know, going the free stuff, a, a, a cheap free route. And, and certainly you can start with some of that, but HRIS, the, the, the human resources side of it, I found that to be the, the first thing in any, you know, anytime I've talked to someone about their own companies and getting started, anytime I've started something, that's the one where if you don't put the money into it and it's not that much, um, but if you don't put the time and effort and money into that tool, managing people and managing that workflow gets really difficult and it becomes a huge amount of noise that is going to distract you one way or the other. And That's a good point for, of view. Like for me, I'm not going to spend money on, I'm not going to go buy Jira. I'm going to use GitLab and its issue tracker yeah. or GitHub and its issue tracker. I'm not going to go, um, there are some great Oh, I mean, the other side of this is there's some great tools that have um, are great companies that have startup programs. So like aha.io, it's a product management tool. Like I've heard of them. $2.99 for five users a year for startups. It's, it's an amazing tool. And if you've never built a product, they actually have a great structure that you don't have to go reinvent the wheel on how to think about a product. You, you fill in the blanks and extend it. And it gives you a great framework for thinking about how to, how to, or, you know, Talk about how to manage, how to build a product. Um, so it, that, that's not even that expensive relative to, you know, what you could be spending for that out in, you know, the enterprise world. And I find myself sort of in two places. I watch enterprise clients who have these massive tool chains and all these big complex things. And, and I, I, I look at it and go, you know, I could do that better with a spreadsheet. <laughs> I know. I do like, I've heard of that company that you mentioned. Um, that's, I think, for bigger projects. I I personally use Trello, but that's just for me. That's not like a team thing. Yeah. Just to organize like my day-to-day -day or pro ongoing projects just to know where I am. Mm -hmm. And then we use kind of more tools like that just for uh, collaboration and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, Trello is built for teams, but I, I don't mm. see it as a kind of, uh, I, don't, I don't recommend it personally for like a team. I think personally for you, it's great. I don't know if yeah. it's a team thing. I don't, I don't really, uh, I don't really like that. Like I've used it for teams and it ends up being a mess because people move cards when they're not supposed to. And then <laughs> they do get 10 emails because people kept moving cards. So you don't know what's happening. Super overwhelming. So I don't recommend it for teams. Um, yeah. Personal use. I think it's great. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm on the same page. I've, yeah. I've got a couple little things here and there that I use for myself that I would never, uh, never use in the real world or never use outside of kind of my own workstation. But um you know, I do think that the the trending towards so, so the assumption that enterprise grade is better, especially in like project management and you know engineering management, is one that um, I find myself fighting a lot. Um, especially when kind of look at the dysfunction of what that causes, and like these organizations who say they want to do DevOps, they want to do uh, agile, but they want you know weekly you know big crazy meetings and four hours a week of, of sitting around, not, not doing the work, but yep. you know, not even really talking about the work and that, that focus on accountability is, you know, it's a symptom of a larger problem, not a problem to be solved uh, with a, a bigger tool. 
And I think that's the, it's a people problem, not a yeah. technology problem at that point. And that's, that's the problem that's got to be solved. You know, six, you know, six layers of tools to do issue reporting. Are you kidding me? Really? <laughs> okay. I could draw you a pretty picture every week. It'd be great. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't change how you manage it. So let's focus on the work, right? Yeah. Just the quality of the work, I think, is more important. What is it? Uh, principal measure of a successful engineering team is functional working code. Yeah. Working functional code, whatever <laughs> the Agile manifesto. Yeah. I mean, it's not that far off. So as, as we wrap up, I like to ask two questions to the guests. Um, and I think you, you talked a little bit about books at the beginning of the interview. So what book have you read um, that has made a difference in your life that you would recommend? It could be anything. I came prepared. Awesome. Um, so um, I'm going to cheat because there's two. Um, you know, from a, a consulting and, you know, even, you know, just sort of an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial perspective, there's a, a book by uh, Sidney Decker called The Field Guide to Understanding Human Error. Um, I, I super recommend this book. And I'm going to warn you, don't read it while you're sitting on a plane. Um, the entire book, or at least 80% of it, is about... I don't think I would by the title. <laughs> no. So, so like, it, the, the version of it that I have has a big explosion on the cover. Um, it, it's all about NTSB and sort of airline disaster investigations. And I know that sounds really weird. But, you know, some of the points that really come out of this book are that, you know, when, when there's something that happens, you know, going to the, the sort of answer that it was human error and closing the book is, is the absolute wrong thing to do. Um, pilots don't go to work every day to fly planes into the ground. They just don't. So what was the context that that pilot had that, that made them make a bad decision or had them make a bad decision? Like pointing the blame, give, you know, finding a scapegoat and moving on isn't, isn't a viable solution. And for all of what we you know, can probably collectively complain about the federal government at times, the NTSB does a phenomenal job of actually digging in and saying, well, okay, it, it wasn't just that you know, pilot had a bad day and you know, airline was you know, dealing with things and maintenance was, it, but like, what actually caused that to happen? What's, what's, the, what's the reason that you know, that plane didn't have the right you know, pin in the landing gear or why it wasn't replaced in the last, you know, three rotations, et cetera. And really digging into that level is, it, it, it's something I always go back to because it's what taught me how to really drive to the heart of like consulting problems. So what's really going on here? I can bring all the best technology in the world and be the smartest guy in the room if I really wanted to be, but we're not here for me. I need to listen to you and understand how you got here so I can help you yeah. move forward. And if you tell me that you want a pizza, but, you know, three of you were allergic to, to cheese. That's not going to solve any, anybody's or <laughs> dairy. That's not going to solve anybody's problem in the room. We need to actually go and, and figure out how we, we solve it. And it's okay. Well, we need to, you know, dig deeper on, on all of that. And, and again, I read it flying back and forth across the country. It was a mistake, but um, <laughs> Boeing makes great plans and I'm so glad Um but but it is a it's a it's a phenomenal book and uh, one that gets into some very great detail um, and has guided me on how I approach a lot of those kind of problems. Um, the other one's a little it's less disastery. We'll put it that way. Um, so it's actually kind of a, a history bio, uh, biography. It's uh, a biography of uh, Admiral Rickover, the the guy who actually invented or sort of came up with the nuclear navy. He's the one, the one guy who came back and said, hey, why don't we put nuclear reactors in, in boats and see what happens? A um, lot less flippant than that. Um, but it's all about the change of culture that he had to drive uh, in the Navy to go from sort of a more fault-tolerant diesel world to a high-precision Navy that has nuclear reactors in these boats. And the level of both detail and the fact that he was uh, apparently a pretty big jerk um, you know, it's a really interesting story that dives into, you know, what culture change looks like when technology begins to really push the boundaries. And yep. for me, it was, 
frankly, it, it, it was a really good read because it had nothing to do with computers. It was, it was still a technology impact, but it wasn't, you know, 1995 and newer or more recent and it wasn't you know the internet impact it, it it was a you know fundamental technology shift that really had a huge impact both to you know to the country to the navy but the amount of effort it took to get there and the fact that it really sat on the back of one guy um it's pretty impressive it's amazing i really like those two books i usually get the same one so i'm really happy Jim that Collins. i got it yeah i usually get like think and grow rich or nope. rich that poor dad. Nope. Um, so I do like mixing it up books. a little bit. They're yeah, oh, I agree 100%. They're really good books, but I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs in the same circle kind of reference that book so many times that all my guests kind of when I ask them that question, they always kind of You're refer like, oh, to that book. This again. one again, got it. Yeah. yeah. No, no, and certainly those are good books, but I think um, I like to pick the weird ones because you know I think we can all talk about you know. Jim Collins is the one I always go back to or Michael Gerber, some of the, you know, foundational books that I was exposed to when I was kind of coming up in the, in the space. I mean, they're super good. They've got lots of great context, but it is, you know, it's the foundation, right? It's for me, it's, it's the, the base level. I think I, I like these little, you know, vignettes of these books that really kind of dive deep in an area or go, really far and challenge how I look at things. Cause I can read rich dad Porter and go, uh-huh, I get it. Cool. It makes sense to me. And, and I'm agreeing, but I'm not being challenged. Exactly. But when I read, you know, Sidney Decker's book, you know, it got my attention, but it challenged me and made me realize that I wasn't digging deep enough. I wasn't going far enough and that, you know, there was a way to dig deeper without being a jerk, but still doing right by my clients and by my company and really, doing right by myself to not let my customers um, be mediocre to only go so far. And, and, and I know that that's a weird thing to say, but it's, it was a lesson in how do I politely challenge um, people who are, you know, maybe a little stuck in their ways to help them understand that the context of what they're doing is way bigger than they understand. And that's what I took out of that. It, it challenged me to go further, which is why I really liked it. No, I agree. Like if I'm reading a book and I feel like everything that I'm reading, I already know or heard of and I'm not being challenged, I loses my attention. I don't finish it. Yeah. Like it happens. So the second question is how do you unwind at the end of the day? What hobbies do you do that bring you some peace of mind after a stressful uh, day? What's, what's unwinding? I'm an entrepreneur. That doesn't happen. Um, no, <laughs> the, the little time that you have that you're able to do besides uh, walking your dog. So, you know, um, walk the dog, go, uh, you know, dinner with the family, hang out at home. Uh, got two kids. It's uh, you know fun to be able to just sit and, not do anything um i you know my son's uh eight almost nine you know so he's getting to the point where you know a little bit of video games here and there might, yeah might nice in the, in the cards um but you know by and large i'm naturally uh, an introvert at the end of the day uh, i've had to learn how to kind of engage and be more um sort of in the moment and more sort of outgoing um but i actually like reading and, you know, my unwinding, whether it's looking at the news or, you know, just sort of sitting back and, and reading like Amazon Kindle Unlimited has this, you know, read as many books as you want kind of thing. And they're not all great books, but I have a bit of a trashy sci-fi problem. And, <laughs> um, you know, they're, you know, easy to read and nothing else there. And it's just a, a you know, an easy way to unwind, especially at the end of the day. But I'm, I'm pretty low-key try not to be too exciting because i get to you know spend my entire day really driving through all kinds of crazy stuff and you know it's nice to be able to come back slow down and not really worry about a whole lot yeah so you basically just you basically unplug from your computer right so you don't your your hobbies don't include being like playing video games or watching tv or anything like that it's just i unplug so you read you try um, right there's a little as bit much of, as you can you know competition cooking shows and being snarky at those you know sort of like <laughs> why did you do that you know the the chopped and um oh yeah what is it kitchen uh hell's kitchen just like the 
dumb little um indulgences that you're like i there's there's no reason that i like this but it is entertaining so i'm gonna sit here i'm gonna watch and not think about it um it's really easy to get kind of caught in the constantly thinking constantly kind of processing and and i think anything i can do to disconnect from that even for a little bit is is really helpful yeah i think we're taught that you should be creating and producing all the time and you should have quality work but you should be able to actually like take a break yeah, I think there's this pressure to to always be on. And, you know, implied in that is that always means always, always. Yeah. Not just when, you know, when I'm present, I'm present. I'm here, I'm on. Um, but when I'm not, that's okay. Yeah. Um, and that's that's a a tough thing to get through, especially when you're in the in that early startup phase. Like we're going through it right now. It's it, really easy for me to sit back and um, you know, I could pour 80 hours, 90 hours a week into everything from biz dev to app dev and, you know, really go and, and drive hard. And when we need to, we certainly can, but that's not, that's not the norm. That's, that is the exception. And I think it's, it's really easy to invert that. And, um, you know, I like tech, don't get me wrong, but I like being able to disconnect a little bit. Yeah. Agree hundred percent. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for being in the podcast today. I really appreciate it. It was great. My pleasure. Glad to be here and a great conversation. Appreciate your time. That is a wrap for this episode. I hope you really enjoyed this one. I think it's a combination of entrepreneurship and technology and how we can really take advantage of those companies that are out there offering open source resources and how to really just grow your business from the ground up. Even if it is not a technology-based company, we can take a lot of lessons from all different industries and apply them to ourselves. If you are loving the podcast, please remember to leave a rating and a review in iTunes. And for now, see you next time.